Pushkin. Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill-building courses for you to choose from because the steps you choose to take today will help you love what you do in the future. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Jacob Goldstein, and this is a special bonus episode of What's Your Problem? My guest today is Maya Lau, host of a new podcast called Other People's Pockets. OPP, to those who love it. Uh, Hi, Maya. Good morning. Hey, nice to talk to you. So um, you got a new show. Give me, give me the show in like one sentence. What is Other People's Pockets? Other People's Pockets is a show where I interview people about money. I ask them how much money they make, how they feel about that, how they got there, and any you know tips and tricks we can learn along the way of their money journey. You, you kind of jumped over it, but I love the asking them how much money they make, right? I feel like a lot of those other things, I'm sure I've heard tips and tricks, but how much money do you make is a great question. Yeah, it's kind of the quiet part out loud. It's the thing we all wonder. I think there's a reason why we all want to look at Zillow and look inside other people's homes. I think we also want to look inside other people's finances because there's a lot that's communicated with just knowing the number. I love it. Um, so I've heard a few of the of the first episodes that you've been working on, and there's one that I found particularly interesting that I want to play today. Uh, and it's an interview you did with a financial dominatrix. So just briefly, what is a financial dominatrix? Some people have a kink where the kink itself is to give away money and there's like this loss of power and that's their kink. And so the financial dominatrix makes money by people just wanting to send them money. Often there's nothing sexual, there's nothing physical that happens. Um, that's how they make money. Amazing. So so I like this interview you did with this financial dominatrix, this Findom, uh, for, for a few reasons. Like one, she actually talks about how much money she makes and like the different sort of revenue channels she has. So just the straight up, how much do you make is there. And then also you kind of get this meta thing about money, which is why would people want to pay her to take their money or whatever, to give her money? So let's just get to it now. Uh, congratulations on your new show, Other People's Pocket. Thank you so much, Jacob. Let's listen to the episode.
Mistress Marley, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. Can you explain what is financial domination and how did it become one of your specialties? So basically, financial domination is a practice within the BDSM and kink world. It's a psychological kink that involves a sub giving the dominant party um, money, whether we call it a tribute, gifts, or whatever. But the sub basically gets off by giving themselves to the dominatrix or the dom financially. Wow. And I mean, <laughs> when you when you explain it, and I think the more that I've heard about it, I think a lot of people kind of consider it basically a dream job <laughs> to to kind of just exist and ask for people to give you money and they just give it to you. Yeah, yeah. I get that a lot. Everyone's always like, is this real? When I first came into it, I didn't think it was real until it started happening. And I was like, oh, it's real. (laughs) And so I'm wondering if you can kind of explain more. I mean, as I understand it, you know, you have an online presence. People can see pictures and videos of you. Um, Mm -hmm. You ask for tributes sometimes. um, But you also sometimes meet people, these being your your subs or your financial submissives in person, right? And sometimes do things like take them to an ATM. Yes. Yeah. Can you talk more about like what that looks like? Yeah. So you'll have some subs that want to meet you in person and we call them fin subs or financial subs. But then for the most part, financial domination is online. But for those subs that want to meet you, they want to do something that we call a cash meet. And that's when you are meeting the sub at the ATM, you know, requesting a certain amount of money they should take out and they hand it to you. And either you can humiliate them, you can walk away, any type of embarrassment that they might ask, whatever it is, it's all consensual. But there are some in-person meetups in this field, not always necessary or not always required. But I think they're the most fun because it's like not only are you giving me your money, but you're doing it in public and I get to humiliate you after I get the money. So to me, that's like something I just love to do. I'm so like impressed by I think I would have so much stage fright and like I'm impressed (laughs) that like you can just go with it and like turn on this side of you. Like, do, do you ever have a moment where you're like, I don't know if I can do this or are you just totally in it? Oh, my gosh, yes. So when I first started out, it was, like, hard for me to really get in the mode of knowing, like, I'm going to humiliate someone because I'm from the South, so I have the sweet Southern Belle thing. Like, I've always been just a sweetheart. I think so. And um, my first ever cash me, I was very, very nervous. So I'm like, what do I say to them? Like, what if there becomes a time where I pause or don't know what to say and we're just awkwardly standing there or whatever? But I got into the mode of getting better at it by, like, when I saw the subs, I would imagine somebody I really really hate it, especially a man (laughs) or someone has done me wrong in the past. And it was just easier in that way. And then when I realized, like, not only was I humiliating them and doing something that made me feel good, them being humiliated was something that made them feel really good. So Mm. I was fulfilling something inside of them while doing something I had to learn how to do and learn how to come into. So it's something that, yes, I was intimidated at first, and a lot of people are intimidated at first when they think about it. But it's one of those things that once you say that first word of humiliation, you just keep going and you can't stop. So it's like you get better at it. <laughs> yeah. You just have to tap into that that part of you. Exactly. So how how much money do you make doing this? Oh, wow. It depends. So, like, 
um, a tribute could range from $50 to $1,000. And a tribute is really just what a sub gives you to have conversation with you or to have access to you. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean like you have to send back any photos or videos or even have a session with them. A tribute is simply for appreciation. So those can range from $50 to $1,000. And then you get deeper into it when you have cash meets because not only are you going to the cash meet and requesting they take out like a thousand out of the ATM, but you're also getting a deposit before that meetup to secure mm-hmm. the meetup. And then when you get into sessions, it gets even deeper because then it's per hour. So like there's been times where I've had sessions because like I said, I'm a pro dominatrix too. So I do the typical dom things of like whipping and, you know, foot worship and all those things. So once you get into that, it can be upward of 900 an hour, a thousand mm-hmm. an hour, whatever it may be. But I've gotten to the point where me being a financial dominatrix has done so well for me that I was able to quit my nine to five last year, last January. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. How much money were you making at your previous job? It was really just an entry level, like 45K a year type salary. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was enough to get by and live in New York with roommates and things of that nature. But Mm -hmm. it was definitely not something I was happy in. It was something where even on my lunch break, I was going to see subs on ATM meetup (laughs) while I was like working. That's the best use of a lunch break. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Or I'd be on my like laptop, like, you know, putting out ads or doing little things or editing pictures or whatever. So I always was just like ready to leave that job or whatever. So, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't what I needed. And I mean, you have a master's degree in fashion Mm -hmm. marketing. So I imagine that that's helped you in your line of work now in terms of marketing. Like, can you talk about like what that degree has has helped you with? Yeah, for sure. So like, My bachelor's degree was in fashion design, and then I moved to New York to learn more about the business of fashion. So I got my uh, master's degree in fashion marketing, and that's helped me learn my niche market. Mm. That's helped me learn, like, how to advertise pictures, what time of the day to advertise, um, who to advertise to. Even if I'm just having classes for other people that want to learn how to be doms, it's setting a price for that and what I offer with that. I mean, I even throw events. So I throw brunches for women that want to learn how to do this stuff. So... It's me being able to do all this marketing. My friends always call me a marketing beast. Like, they can't understand (laughs) how I'm, like, always going, going, going. It's, like, because, you know, in my corporate world, when I was working in corporate, that's something I just had to do on a daily. So why not incorporate it into what I'm doing now? Right. You know, a lot of your clients, I think you've mentioned, are CEOs. They're Wall Street types. They're high-powered men in high-powered jobs. Do you get a sense from them about why exactly they're interested in giving away their money and also in being dominated? I think for them, it's the lack of power that they're having with me. So they're so used to being in charge. Like you said, they're CEOs and things of that nature. So they're so used to being in charge and calling the shots and this and that. But when they come to me, none of that exists. It's it's all about me. I call the shots. I make the schedule. I tell you when you need to be bowing to me or giving to me or sending to me. And for them, it's just like, wow, I'm really being told something by someone that, A, is not only younger than me, but someone that um, is very dominant. And I might not be used to this. So I think they get off to just have from that lack of control. Like, oh, I can't control what's going on right now. I can't tell them that they need to shut up and listen to me like I have to shut up and listen to them. And what about when it's just them sending you money and like there's no real back and forth, but it's just money appears in your account? Like what what's that about, do you think? Oh, that's even better, actually. <laughs> if they if more of them could send me money and not say anything to me, oh, life will <laughs> <Yes>. be made. <laughs> 
But um, we get a lot of silent senders in financial domination. Those are people that send money. You don't know where it came from. They'll never tell you, like, oh, I sent or whatever. I had one sub that was doing that for a long time, and I realized who he was. And, I, you know, I entered his DM, like, you know, because he had been a long-time sender. And I was like, what are your fetishes? What are your kink? And he was literally just like, I'm not into any of that. I just want to send you money or whatever. And I would just like to keep it, like, silent. I was like, perfect. Like, that's perfect for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I think for a lot of them is... To them, I guess it gives them a thrill of knowing, like, oh, my God, I just sent money to a stranger on the other side of the world, and I'm never going to see them, and they don't have to talk to me, but I sent it, and it's out of my wallet. Like, I think for them, it's the thought of, if I told someone this, they would look at me like I was crazy, you know? So it's it's different things that, you know, make them feel great or fulfilled. You mentioned like you have this whole business and I'm curious more about your business model. Like you have a segment where you do financial domination. Uh, You also do in-person dominatrix, like what people classically think of a dominatrix setup being. You have these brunches you mentioned, you have classes. Like, can you tell us kind of how it all breaks out? Like, what do you make the most money off of? What do you make the least money off of? I would have to say that I make the most money off of my in-person sessions um, and my online courses because everyone wants to do everything online. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, I still have successful in-person events, but there's an online option. Of course, everyone's going to take it just to be safe. Um, I will say I make a good amount of money with my um, in-person events and things of that nature, but it just takes so much to put those together, like, you know, finding a venue, getting caterers getting decorations, um, all those different types of things. So it's just like I try to make myself accessible in different ways because I realize that what I'm doing is something that a lot of people are curious about but are scared to jump into. So, of course, you might not have those people that can show face at a public event like this because at my brunches I have subs there and we actually, like, practice on them and things of that nature. But you might have people that work in nine-to-five jobs where they might be like, okay, I don't want to be seen in public at an event like this. But that's why I offer the online events because they can, you know, have the freedom to be online and learn and not really have to show their face or be out in the public. Right. Well, I mean, along those lines, like, I kind of wanted to ask you – sex work is this thing that we both glamorize and at the same time society kind of doesn't know what to do with and i'm wondering like what are some of the pitfalls of of this career choice for you i think some of the pitfalls is like the constant judgment stereotypes um having to really explain your work and having to explain that sex work is work mm-hmm. even when people just when I'm out at the bars or the clubs, you know, the, the typical conversations like, what do you do for work or whatever? Like, and I'm someone that's always been so sure of myself that I'm not going to hide what I do, but I'll tell them I'm a dominatrix. Mm-hmm. And it's just right away. It's, oh, that's crazy. That's weird. Like, or like, oh, you're not going to beat me right now. I'm like, okay, like, why would I just to. start beating you at the bar? <laughs> like, um, Yeah, but it's getting those stereotypes. It's like having to really explain yourself and, you know, having to realize that, our job isn't normal jobs. As much as we try to normalize it, yes, like we can say that it's normal for us, but for other people, it will never be perceived as that. So it's just always having to find where we fit in or just feel like we're really fighting to just be heard, you know? Right. Yeah. And I mean, it feels like you're like you've done a lot of thinking and planning in terms of keeping your personal life separate and mm-hmm. and also just in preparing to even get yeah. into this industry. 
Exactly. So you mentioned how much tributes could be. I mean, can you can you give us a sense? I, I noticed on Twitter you recently posted you had a total sales of hundred five thousand mm-hmm. dollars to date, and we're in October this year. Mm-hmm. Can you say like kind of? what the total for the year might be, like, of all the things you do? So the sales I posted on Twitter just today are sales from, like, my brunches and Zoom courses and, like, um, any type of party I throw. So that's been all those sales for that. When it comes to, like, my financial domination and things of that nature, a lot of those tributes and things are gifts through Cash App Mm -hmm. or gifts through Venmo. Like, just like if your friend was to send you Eight hundred dollars on Cash App for their portion of the rent. That's how it is when it's getting sent to me on Cash App. So I would say, aside from that, if I was to mentally try to add up my Cash App, Venmo, even cash gifts or anything of that nature, I would say by now October it would be close to fifty k. Mm-hmm. And that's just me doing a, just throwing a number out there. Because right. there's so many things from session deposits for when I'm having sessions, um, Skype online things from when I'm doing that. There's even things such as night flirt, which is phone sex operation, but there are subs that want to be humiliated on the phone. Um, so there's so many different avenues of revenue that are coming in. Yeah. And that's like such a key part of being on top of your finances. Something I'm trying to work on mm-hmm. is like having different income streams. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, taken me so long to realize, like, I shouldn't just work at one job. Like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like, that's how that's how I saw myself. Like, I came in as a financial dominatrix, but I was just like, okay, what happens when maybe one day something happens and I can't do this anymore or I get tired of it or whatever? Like, that's why now I'm working on a lingerie line. So mm-hmm. I want to get back into fashion. So mm-hmm. it'll just come back full circle. Right. And it'll be advertised to sex workers. So it's like... It's going to be a lingerie line, finally buy a sex worker for sex workers. Oh, wow. So yeah. it's like, you know, just trying to have those different streams and bringing everything back full circle. Right. And I mean, you mentioned like something about, you know, this may not be what you want to do forever. Like, do you think mm-hmm. about like, you know, where does this lead to? Like, is there going to come a point in time where you're like, I don't want to do this anymore? And do you, I don't know, do you have a thought about like what's kind of the future of this for you? I think for me, it depends on, like, where the culture of kink and BDSM is going. Like, right now, it's really, really big and popular because it's been shown in pop culture very mm-hmm. much so lately, whether it's a Netflix show, whether it's, like, um, these artists and their music videos wearing leather and latex, things of that nature. But I think I'll be in a space where I always will want to be a kink educator mm-hmm. and throwing events because I get so much, like, joy from throwing events and doing things. But will I be 90 years old still uh, whipping someone in a dungeon? (laughs) Depends. (laughs) I'm so impressed, like, the amount of money you're making sounds like, you know, at least 150K, at least, you know, that's as Mm -hmm. of only as of October, is definitely a far cry from the 45K you were making before. What what has this allowed you to achieve financially that, that you might not have been able to attain otherwise? Oh, wow. So I came from a family of six kids. Mm-hmm. Um, 
My mom and dad are still married. So I came from a family of we didn't really have money to do a lot of extracurricular things. Mm -hmm. For instance, I'm going to Disney on Wednesday. Never been to Disney (laughs) in my life. Like, and, you know, I'm going as an adult and I wasn't able to do that when I was younger because there were so many of us. And, like, you know, we lived in different areas from the suburbs to the projects to um, the outskirts and all these different things. So I really didn't grow up with the financial knowledge that I needed. Um, Did not grow up financially responsible was not taught things of, like, how to do taxes and how to do this and that and apply for loans, was really just thrown into it. Like, that's just how I feel. Mm -hmm. So ever since I've come into this career, you know, I've been able to do things for myself. I've been able to save money. I've been able to keep a nice savings account and, and, you know, pay things on time and improve my credit score and pay off loans and just do all these different things that I wasn't able to do. And within that, I'm able to help my parents. I'm able to send them money. I'm able to just buy them things if I want to buy them things. But at the same time, while learning that financial responsibility that I didn't have growing up from age, like when I was in college until up until age 24, I want to say. So it's really just, it's taught me a lot about saving. It's taught me a lot about how to deal with so much money coming in at once. It's taught me about how to get business licenses and how to properly do my taxes and report things. It's just things I had to learn on my own, but I feel like if I hadn't got pushed to this point, I wouldn't have like learned it. What are some of your long-term financial goals? So right now I'm putting money into a dungeon I'm trying to build in New York City. Mm. Um, that's going to be another stream of income. So basically a dungeon really where we focus on black sex workers having a safe space because we deal a lot... Um, you know, even I, starting out as a dom, I dealt a lot with a past, with a lot of passive aggressiveness in, like, spaces that were mostly white or, like, white-owned or whatever. So just really having those spaces for us. So, and then, you know, it's not a lot of dungeons in New York. A lot of dungeons got shut down during the mm-hmm. pandemic. One dungeon that was black-owned got shut down. So it's just me and my girlfriends, who are also doms, um, putting this dungeon together. So it's for me to put my money into that long term. And also, I want to start a school, like a dominatrix mm. academy with, you know, tuitions and semesters and all these different things. So I think it's just me always thinking, how can I give back to the community that supports me so much all the time? Like, how can I give back to them all at once? So my long term goal is always financially is always about healing and building um, within the community. Mm-hmm. So I feel like as long as you heal and build and put money into the community, the universe will always give back. You know, you'll always be. Um, You'll always have abundance. You'll always be able to move how you need to move. So those are pretty much my long-term goals. So many of your clients are white men. Yes. And one of the paddles that you spank people with says reparations on it. Yes. Do you explicitly talk about reparations with your white male clients? I do. I definitely do. So I do a lot of um, reparations play is what we call it. I do a lot of making them like do research on black women or black women in power or whatever. That's awesome. Yeah. So I like do they a lot have of homework? Like, yeah. So I give them homework <laughs> or I either even just make them research me and do a paperwork on me and who I am. I'm like, like a lot of my subs when they approach, I'm like, if you want to approach me and serve me, like you're saying, like, I want you to want to serve me beyond what you're seeing in the images and that you think I'm beautiful and I'm high. Okay, anyone can say that. It's like I want you to really study who I am and what I like so that you can properly serve me, you know, so that it's not just something you're doing out of boredom or because you have some extra money to Mm -hmm. spend today, you know. So 
um, I do a lot of just educating them. And I also run a group called Black Dom Sorority, mm-hmm. where it's like a hundred of us. A couple members are in L.A., so we're like all over. And, you know, I use the subs to serve us at events. We have sleepovers and brunches and all types of things. And we'll have the white subs there and they'll really be like bowing down to us. So I love just that element of my work. So you mentioned like Black Dom Sorority, you'll have these and that's a a group of Black and Afro-Latino women Mm -hmm. and non-binary people who are all dominatrixes. Is that right? Right. Yes. And so like you'll have these white subs like will they be like serving the food and cleaning up? Yeah, so they'll serve the food. We've had them in, like, made outfits before, cleaning up. We'll do, like, little fashion shows with them, little humiliating things, things that they, like, consented to Mm -hmm. um, we'll have. So, for instance, in December, we're having our holiday party in New York. So the holiday party is going to be so much fun because we're going to do so many different things, like making the subs pose as Christmas trees and just throwing decorations on them and things of that nature. It's really for our entertainment, but it's also for them to realize, like, you know, you wanting to serve us goes beyond you just typing this to me on Twitter. Like, I want to see in person that you're really dedicated to serve us because anybody can say, oh, I love serving black doms and things of that nature. You know, a lot of the times these subs, they try to see us as a fetish or they fetishize us. And so it's me really saying, like, you know, you can like what you like, but also you have to understand what you're liking and you have to see that person as a person also, not just as a kink or a fetish. And what kind of transformation have you seen have you seen like have you had conversations with your subs where they actually get it and like they I don't know have more of a realization of what it means to for there to be reparations or for them to actually respect black women like do you get that kind of feedback from them yeah I've definitely seen a transformation I mean I've had one sub that says that he's learning more about black history and you know, learning more beyond his scope of what he was taught growing up. And, you know, I have subs that I have them donate to certain causes or whatever that support black people, black sex workers in general. Um, So it's just always me teaching them how to give back, but also me teaching them that when I'm not around, because I might not always be around, I might not always be your dom, you still need to hold us to the same stature that you're holding me. So it shouldn't just be Mm -hmm. where you're just holding Mistress Marley as a black woman to a certain stature because you think she's hot and sexy and you want to serve her. It should be every black woman that crosses your path you should be treating like this. Have you ever actually controlled someone's bank account, like gotten their password and everything? So not their bank account password, but there is something that we do in FinDom called TeamViewer. And that's basically when you remotely control their computer from your house. Mm. So I've like, I've controlled it. And they watch you do it the whole time. But I've controlled their like laptops or whatever from my house. And I've gone into their PayPal, logged in and sent myself money or gone into their cash app or Venmo and sent myself money. So it's pretty much the same thing. So you have some subs that want that to happen for them. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Again, again, (laughs) dream job. (laughs) I mean, but at the same time, like you have a lot of content out there on different platforms. You have an OnlyFans account where people can see nude Uh, photos and videos of you like Mm -hmm. there's a possibility that like those silent senders are also taking in some of that content right yeah but I think the thing with them too is that when they're looking at my content on OnlyFans my content 
my content is under the male gaze, but it's not for the male gaze, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So my content is not me trying to convince you to touch me or be all over me or I want you or I'm, you know, whatever they might say, or I'm horny or, you know, what a lot of people might do. My content is more so on the fact of look at me. You'll never be able to touch me. Mm-hmm. You'll never be able to even be in the same room as me. You're a loser. Like it's still me humiliating, mm-hmm. but in a way of being sensual with it. I mean, this might be like a really stupid question, but do you think that this type of thing, especially the Findom stuff, could work if there wasn't like literally anything sexual about it? Like if you were just like in your sweats and like didn't even post a picture of yourself or something like would would it work (laughs) or? Oh, for sure. Because when I when I first started out, it was just strictly content on Twitter, um, posting my feet, posting a picture of me doing a loser sign, like not even really having that OnlyFans network or whatever. Um, and then there's a lot of doms, too, that are faceless. Um, mm. They just show the neck down. There's a lot of subs that love catfish fetish. So they love for you to use a fake picture on them and tell them it's a fake picture. And they just love it. This so is amazing. There's yes. different. <laughs> So, yeah, there's so many, like, one of the main questions I get, because, you know, I get a lot of women that do have these nine-to-five jobs, and they ask me, like, how can I do this without showing my face? And I'm like, you can definitely do this without showing your face, because there's some subs that really just like feet, or just like to see you in stockings from the waist down, or whatever. Like, there's so many different ways you can make money without ever showing your face. Well, that's amazing. I didn't realize you can even make money not even showing a picture of yourself. (laughs) Yeah, you can. You definitely can. Wow. Um... How do you decide what your rate should be? So my rates are decided upon how much energy am I putting into something mentally, physically, and emotionally. So mm-hmm. if I'm whipping someone, that's physical. That's something that can make your arm sore by the end of it or um, takes a lot of physical energy. So I would charge upward of 800 an hour for that. If I'm doing something where I'm verbally humiliating somebody, okay, that's not as intense as physical um, domination. So maybe I'll do 300 an hour for that. If I'm doing something where they want multiple kinks in one hour, it's like, okay, you really have to charge for that, you know, a thousand and upward. So it just really depends on what you're putting into it. If it's ever to a point where you're doing something and you're thinking, oh, my God, this is emotionally doing so much for me or mentally or I had to do so much to get prepared for this, you know. And as doms, we spend a lot of money on our outfits, um, Mm -hmm. leather and Latex is not cheap. We spend a lot of money on our, on our outfits, self-care of our outfits, of our tools. Um, a lot of these tools are handmade. A lot of them are like real leather and wood and things of that nature. So that's how I really determine my rates is like how much energy is being put into what I'm doing. I'm so curious, as you mentioned that your expenses and I'm, I think about like your taxes or something like what, what all are your expenses? So my expenses vary from like until I open a dungeon, I am renting out dungeons for a session. So that's those are usually hourly fees, and those usually change per dungeon. So one dungeon might charge $75 an hour. You might have another one that charges 150 It just depends on what's available that day and what you can use. So it's dungeon expenses. Um, it's expenses of wanting to buy new tools and new toys because a lot of these things have wear and tear over time. So I've had a lot of paddles and things I've had to thrown out because they can't be used anymore. They've been used so much. Mm-hmm. Um Leather and latex. There's sometimes instances accidentally in latex where you might get oil or spill something on it and it's damaged. So you have to replace it. Like those things are very sensitive and easy to mess up. Mm -hmm. So it's just dealing with incidentals like that. Expenses such as, you know, like traveling to the session. But a lot of these expenses are put into the session price. So they're pretty much covered by the sub. But these are different expenses that we have. And me just being a very, very feminine woman, you know, I always have my hair done every two weeks Mm -hmm. and nails and, you know, all these different types of cosmetic things and keeping up with my general health and all these different things. So um, 
a lot of this money goes into things. It's not always, oh, I, I got this big stack of money and it's going straight into the savings. Some of it might go into the savings, but some of it is going towards other expenses because as a dom, especially in this industry where you're doing physical domination in person, your looks are everything. Yeah. How many hours a day do you work? It depends. So one thing about sex work, too, is your schedule is never the same. So mm-hmm. my busiest days are days when I have sessions back to back or when I'm recording content all day. So I like to work smart and not hard. So I'll spend a whole day recording content and different videos and post it on different days. You know, the mm-hmm. subs don't know what days I right. did or if, you know, whatever. So those to me are the hardest because content creation is so hard. I mean, you spend all the time in the world, first of all, just doing your makeup and hair and your outfit. And then you have to set up the self-timer and the editing and the lighting and making sure you're doing it at the right time of the day. So you are getting lighting. So that itself takes a long time. But I will say maybe on an average day of like sessions or whether it's virtual or whatever or planning events, I will say like I'm up at nine o'clock and maybe done around three. So maybe I work a nine to three, you know, so it just depends. But it's that ability to be able to set my schedule and be able to say, you know what, I'm not seeing anyone today or I'm not seeing anyone tomorrow. I'll see whoever I want to see on Thursday. I could do a whole sessions, um, a whole day of sessions on a Thursday and make what I needed to make, you know, for the month. Like, mm-hmm. so it's it's different ways to just like set it up. But one thing about me is I'm always big on taking like I will take time off. Like mm-hmm. I do not care. I will take the time off and vacation. Like even me coming to L.A. was vacation and time off just for myself, you know, so you have to really just make that time. Yeah, I mean, that that kind of brings me to to one of the questions I had, which is like, we all have days at work where we're just like, like, I have to go to work, right? Mm-hmm. Do you ever feel like that? Or do you feel mostly like you love this? I love it. I think I only get times where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so like tired or whatever, when it's like the day of an event, because I know events take a lot out of me. So it's like, you know, there's so many things that always come up days of event, like the decorator isn't replying to your text right away or like the caterer saying they're going to be this many minutes late or whatever. So it's always little things like that that come up. But within my actual work of being a pro dom and a financial dominatrix, I never get to that point. I get excited when it comes to doing sessions, even mm-hmm. if it's just online or someone sending me money or a virtual Skype session or whatever it might be. I just always get excited because I'm like, especially if it's a new client, because I get to meet someone new and that first introduction is everything. And it's just like you never know where it can go. Like this can be my client that I only wanted one session today or this could be my client that's sending money every day for me, you know? So it's, mm-hmm. it's for me, it's the thrill and the excitement because in this industry, you never know where things are going to go. What do you indulge in financially? I love bags. Mm-hmm. I'm a bag fanatic. Going through the fashion industry growing up or in college where I couldn't afford none of the things we were learning about to be able to afford those things now, it, it gives me mm-hmm. it gives me like pride on it. It gives me a deeper sense of it. It's like a kid in a candy store. So I definitely indulge. I think I buy at least one luxury bag a month oh, at wow. this point. Yeah, so... Like, I'm trying to work on it, but to me, it's just like, I just love how it is. And for me, it's not even just buying the bag. It's some of these luxury stores give such good experiences. Like, you walk in, you get the champagne, and, you know, mm. you get, like, all these different things going on. And to me, it's just the air of it, of just how it feels to be in spaces that I would have never thought I'd be able to be in. Or spaces to where, 
you know, me going around New York, even when I had no money, I would be on Fifth Avenue Mm -hmm. going to shop and just feel embarrassed that I was in there and couldn't really like spend any money or just feel like, you know, I would never be able to obtain these things. So I will say that I'm a bag fanatic right now. Nice. Another question we have for everyone is, what does enough look like to you? What does enough look like for me? Um, Enough for me, I guess, would be like being fulfilled emotionally and mentally. So for me, it's like even if I wasn't financially stable or financially to do the things I could do, I think as long as I was fine mentally and emotionally, I would be great. You know, because a lot of people make a lot of this money and they hate themselves Mm -hmm. or they don't feel good about themselves. So they're never fulfilled or it's not enough for them. But for me, it's just like as long as I have good people around me and I can give back to people and I feel great about myself and what I'm doing, that's all that matters. You know, do you feel like you have enough right now? No, you can always want more. You can yeah. well, you can always want more. I don't have enough bags, but no, I think I I think I do have I have enough love within me mm-hmm. and outside of me. Mm-hmm. So I have so many amazing people around me that have supported this journey because for me it's different. It's one thing to be a sex worker online doing your own thing and you know, you're not really in the sh- like not really in the scope of everyone's eyes and stuff. But for me to be doing all that plus everyone's always watching me and I'm in these big publications and doing these things and I feel like people are waiting for me to mess up is like I have all these people that support me. I mean, I just having the privilege alone of my parents supporting my sex work is big. Mm-hmm. There are so many people in this industry that can't even tell their parents because they'll get disowned, kicked out, whatever it might be. But I have parents that not only support what I do, but they want to be a part of it. Like my mom's going to be my assistant for my lingerie line. Like oh, wow. She's like helping me with all these things. And, you know, my dad's always asking, like, do you need business cards? Do you need this? Mm-hmm. Or my dad's like, I saw someone today that Mike could be a sub. I'm like, OK, <laughs> dad, I don't even know what that means for you. <laughs> but like, but it's just having all these people. I mean, my best friend is my assistant. My two other best friends are running a dungeon with me. Like just having all these people that are close to mm-hmm. me that are supporting what I'm doing, that are always there. I mean, they're there through everything, through the meltdowns before an event, through, like, the nervousness before certain things, through having to deal with crazy clients. I mean, sometimes my best friends come and sit in at security at my session. So it's just, like, that will always be enough for me. Mm-hmm. I heard that you have an affirmation that you say to yourself in the mirror every day, and I'm, yeah. I'm wondering if you can teach it to us. So... Affirmations are always a good thing because you could either repeat it to yourself in a mirror or you can record your voice saying it on your phone and play it as you're going to sleep. I've never thought of that. Yeah. So so a lot of people like to listen to mantras by other people, which are good. But to me, it has the most force in it when it's your own voice. So imagine you like so imagine you falling asleep and you're subconsciously listening to yourself in your ear say these things. You're going to believe it because it's your voice. Right. So it's. I'm a bad bitch. I'm a bad bitch. I'm a money magnet. I'm a money magnet. Everything I want, I get. Everything I want, I get. I'm healthy. I'm wealthy. I'm that bitch. I'm healthy. I'm wealthy. I'm that bitch. Yes. I love it. Yes. Um, I'm getting a note from our producer one, wanting to know if you can dom me uh, in one sentence like you do a client. Oh, okay. That was a, that was a good little touch, producer. Shout out to you. <laughs> what are your like? What are your 
What are your hard limits first? Like, what is the absolute no? Can you give me an example of what a hard limit is? So a hard limit is something that's just like, no, absolutely don't say to me. I mean, I, I don't I don't think that I have, I don't know. I don't think that I have Okay, any, even better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go for All it. All right, so... Hey, you little bitch, you're going to give me all your money and you're going to dream about me when you go to sleep and I'm all you're going to ever think about because I'm all that matters to you and your life is worthless without sending me money. Amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Well, I actually have sent you money because um, I've subscribed to one of your channels, so... Oh, (laughs) a silent sender. We have a silent sender, guys. I'm a silent sender. Other People's Pockets is written and hosted by me, Maya Lau. It's produced by me, along with Joy Sanford and Dan Gallucci. Production help by Angela Vang. Our mix engineer is Dan Gallucci. Our executive producers are me, Maya Lau, along with Jane Marie and Dan Gallucci. Special thanks to the silent senders. Other People's Pockets is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you love this show, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus, offering bonus content and ad-free listening across our network for $4.99 a month. Look for the Pushkin Plus channel on Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. You can sign up for Pushkin newsletters at pushkin.fm. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. It all started with two federal agents who heard a rumor. She mentions, well, there is this alleged murder to have taken place. There was just one problem. They had no clue who the victim was. We have to do our job and we have to find out who did they kill? It had been 15 years since this alleged murder. Was it still possible to unearth the truth? I used to watch um, the Unsolved Mystery shows, and I often thought about calling, because I was like, "This this is not right. How can a person get killed and no one knows anything? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover... The Nameless Man. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear the entire season right now, ad-free, subscribe to Pushkin Plus on our Apple Podcast show page or on pushkin.fm slash plus.